uh, Luke, the 24th chapter. In verse 1 it says, Now upon the first day of the week, and remember, the first day of the week is Sunday, not Monday. That's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. That's why we meet on Sunday. So now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came into the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. Can't keep resurrection life in a grave. You can't keep it there because it's the power of eternal life. The power of eternal life is the resurrection life that we have and no stone and death can't keep it in a grave. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass that they were much perplexed thereabout. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments, and as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, this two, and these were angels, the two angels said unto those that were afraid, Why seek you the living among the dead? Why do you seek him who is life among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And then they remembered his words. And that's what we need. We need to constantly hear his words to bring back remembrance about who he is, resurrection life. He has power and authority over death. He is our Lord, and he is everything to us. And that when he rose, we rose with him. That's why Ephesians 2.6 says that we are presently in our position, seated in him above everything. That should be enough when we mix faith or dependence upon it, that there be no fear in us. But we need to be reminded. We need to have the words of his life brought again to our memories. Then it says they returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. So God has us remember things through teaching and through the word. He has us to remember these things for our sake because love casts out fear in 1 John 4, 18. And then that that fills us, this resurrection life and the remembrance of it, allows us to get excited and then go tell others, to go tell others about it, to remind them that again, he that's our life is above everything that's going on in our life. Mm -hmm. He's above everything, no matter what it is. And so in our excitement, where he raises us again and he raises up our thoughts and our thinking and elevates us in our thinking to the position that we have in Christ. And that brings now an excitement and it takes away fear because now 
Our object isn't what's going on in our life, what has happened, but our object is Christ. We're in him, and he's in us, and he's above everything. So in a sense, we return from the sepulcher, from dead thinking. We return in our thinking to where it belongs, in Christ above everything. We get excited, and now with that excitement, we can go and edify and build up others. And it was Mary Magdalene, that's who it was in Luke 24, who would go with others, it was Mary Magdalene, with others, and Johanna and Mary, the mother of James, and other women that were with them, which told these things <laughs> unto the apostles. And their words, look at what it says, and their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. That's what happened. And they were Christ. They were born again. They were apostles. But they forgot the word that Christ gave to them, the very life that was imparted to them through the words that Christ gave them. And sometimes it seems to us when God, again, because of our circumstances and situations, our view gets lowered. It gets lowered. We get bowed down and we think in our thoughts and our thoughts apart from him who's our life. And then someone comes in and gives us the word and someone comes in and the preaching and the teaching. And because we're in, our mind is not on our right object. Our mind is on ourself. We live in unbelief. And then the word that's preached to us becomes like an idle tale. And we believe them not. And then arose Peter. Peter, and he had to see for himself because he couldn't believe those words that they told him. And so he had to run for himself to the sepulcher. And then he stooped down. And that's a picture of humility. We stoop down and we humble ourselves and we begin to look into the words and into the word of God and see that Jesus really, he is risen. And the fact is we rose with him. And he's our object, not ourself, not our circumstances, not our situation, but he's our object. And when that is, we experience the power of eternal life that rose and rose Jesus from the dead, but rose us with him. That's why Colossians 3, verse 2, says, set your mind, your whole thinking above. And it's not affections or emotions. It sets your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died to them. You died in that grave where Jesus died. You died with him. And Christ is our life, risen. And our thoughts are way above what goes on on this earth. Sometimes we make more of our circumstances and situations. We make them our object and we get down. Or we can make what's going on on this earth an object. What's going on in Israel an object? And think, oh, wow. When in reality, Christ is far above them all, has a perfect plan. He has designs for Israel as a nation. 
He has designs for us in his resurrection life that he's given to us, and they're far above. So Peter stoops down and he looks in and sees the linen clothes laid by themselves and departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. In other words, what happened? When in reality, Christ had already told him what was going to happen, but he needed to be reminded, just like you and I. He needs to be reminded, just like you and I, our life is not what happens to us here on this earth. Our life is not the circumstances and situations, oh, by the way, that we are passing through. We are on a journey, and our journey is to bring us to our position in Christ. But he wants us to experience the truth of it now so that things on this earth Things that happen to us, our circumstances and situations, whatever is going on in Israel or even in our personal life or in the lives of our personal loved ones, that he is above it and that that is not to be our object. What someone says to us that's outside of Christ, how someone treats us, is not our object. Christ is our object. He's our object, and we are to look away from those things that would distract us unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher in Hebrews 12, verse 2. He is the one we lean on with everything, and not our circumstance and situations, not even our health, no matter what it is. Our health is not who we are. Who we are is Christ in us, and he's far above it. And so Peter looked at those things. And then verse 13 says, And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. Notice that? They were talking about all the things that just happened. Christ was crucified. Their hope Everything that they leaned on seemed to be crucified, seemed to be over because he was dead and gone. All the promises. And sometimes we think because of circumstances and situations and the things that surround us, the things that we're going through, that somehow now they're dead and gone. It's over for us. And then we get and we talk about it. We begin to talk about it and discuss how we think these things are over and done with us. We may even think these thoughts in our mind. They may become our object. They may become our occupation. Just like these two. But then it says in verse 15, and it came to pass, came to pass that while they communed together in reason, their reasoning thoughts were, oh, all these things that they saw, that it entered in, and it became their object. And it began to take away their peace. The peace that Christ is, remember? Ephesians 2.14, he is our peace. Do you remember what he said to his disciples in John 14, verse 1? Let not your heart be troubled, neither be afraid. You believe in God. Do you believe in God? you trust in him? 
believe in me. Is God your object? Is God in Christ our object? Are we, did he make us his object? And he did. He said, I, my peace I've given unto you. I've given you my peace because the, the peace that I have is the peace that I am and I've given myself to you. So in John 14, verse 27, let not your heart be troubled and neither be afraid. I've given you my peace, not as the world gives, but I've given you peace that nothing can touch when I am your object. When, I, when you're in my presence, my presence settles everything. It raises us up instantly above everything. I then, the circumstances and the situations and the things that were getting us downcast, the things that were making us sad, when we begin to now think with him, they go away quickly. They go away. And it says in verse 15 of Luke 24, and it came to pass that while they were communing and reasoning together about these cells, these things, it says Jesus himself drew near. And look what it says, and went with them. But they didn't know it. And at times we are in circumstances and situations, and at times we can seem to be so lonely and sometimes misunderstood, or we can't understand why God allowed certain things in our life. And we begin to reason about them and make those things our object when our very object, Jesus Christ himself, is with us. Do you remember what it says in Hebrews 13, verse 5? And in the original language, it's a triple salutation. I will never... No, never in any way. No, never leave you, nor forsake you. In other words, my presence is always there, and my presence is to be your object. And when my presence is your object, you will have and experience perfect peace because in Isaiah 26, verse 3, your mind will be stayed upon me. You will trust me. You won't trust in the circumstance in the situations. You won't put your trust in that. You won't put your trust in how someone treated you or mistreated you or what they said. But you will make me your object. My presence, your object. And when you do, you in my presence, because you've set me always before your face, in Psalm 16, verse 8. And because in my presence, what do we experience? In his presence, there's what? Joy. There's absolute joy. We have eternal life. We don't have to wait to experience eternal joy. Mm -hmm. We can have it now. But it's in his presence. And it lifts us up above every single thing. No wonder John the Apostle would say in 1 John 5, 18, the wicked one, he can't touch us. When we're in his presence... He cannot touch us. He can't bring in his lies in John 8, 44. He can't bring in his imaginations in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, because in his presence, oh, they are so far cast down. We don't live 
by impulse and imaginations. We live in his presence and experience his love. And the first effect of that cause of his love is an unbelievable joy. And in Galatians 5.22, it gives us incredible peace. Incredible peace. And so Jesus drew near to those two. And look what it says in verse 16. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. They couldn't experience him by sight because their object was what they were looking at, what happened, what was around them. And they couldn't experience the peace that was in his presence, or in other words, the presence of who he was to be their peace. But he, like he does with us, he draws near to us. We may withdraw from him, but he never withdraws from us. He's always available, always there for us whenever we need him. He ever lives in Hebrews 7, 25, to make intercession for us. He, his, his whole purpose. He's ever living, even now, to make intercession for us. He, he will fill every single need, but he won't force himself on us but he will be there for us to draw near instantly. So they didn't know it. Their eyes were holding. In other words, they were walking by sight and not by faith in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. And then guess what? He said to them in verse 17, what manner of communication are these that you have said to one another? I mean, why are you having this discussion with one another? Why is there doubt in your thinking. And then in the doubt of your thinking, you communicate that one to another. Why is that that you're doing that? And he said, why is that? That you communicate this way one to another as you walk. In other words, in your spiritual walk, you're expressing doubt toward one another. And what does it do? And you are sad. It makes you sad. It makes you without hope. And you have no peace. And then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said unto him, Are you only a stranger in Jerusalem? They still didn't even recognize who he was. And at times, we don't. We walk by our feelings. And I want to talk, I'll talk more about that tonight, much more about the feelings and emotions and what they can do to us and what they have to do with us, really. But he said that you're walking this way and now you're sad. You're sad, you're down, you're downcast because your view is not heavenly. Your view is not who I am and who I've told you you are in my presence. And you're looking at yourself outside of how I see you in my presence with settled peace that's yours, that I've won for you. And now your circumstances and your situations are your object and they've caused you to be very sad, very distressed. And your feelings now are dictating to you and not my presence. And so they could say to him, and then we say to him in our conversations with him, well, don't you know what's going on, God? 
Aren't you aware of what's going on in my life? Don't you see what's going on in this world? Where are you? Where are you in my circumstance, in my situations? Where are you? Because they said to him, you're a stranger in Jerusalem. And the fact of the matter is, Jesus himself, God in a human body. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.19, God was in Christ, reconciling potentially the whole world to him. He was in the religious hub of the day, Jerusalem. And he was a stranger. Just like you and I, in this world system, Peter said in 1 Peter 2, verse 11, we are sojourning here on this earth. We are strangers and pilgrims on this earth. But when our mind gets off of him, when our mind gets off of him, when, he ceases, when we cease to live in his presence and experience the perfect peace that he is to us, we get sad about the world around us, things that are happening to us and to all of those loved ones that we have. And we get sad and we think somehow God becomes a stranger in our life. <laughs> God, you're very strange. I don't understand these things. I don't understand and we don't because we cannot evaluate things properly outside of his presence. We cease to evaluate them the way he does. He's above them all. He's above it all. And he's conquered. And we've ceased to function in the fact that in Romans 8, verse 37, we're more than conquerors in him. And when we function by sight, outside of dependence upon his presence, we think we're less than more than conquerors. And we don't sense or we don't feel that he's conquered everything about our life and that he's not in control because somehow we take our eyes off of him and feel like we have to be in control. And boy, when that happens, everyone, drop what you're doing and run from us. <laughs> the reality is, is this, that he was a stranger in Jerusalem, and they thought he was. And they were saying to him, have you not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? I mean, are you so unaware of it? And he said unto them, what things? He's trying to get things. He's trying to teach them and get things out of them like he does with us. And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. Our hopes are over. Don't you realize that? Oh, God. Don't you realize, don't you see what's going on in my life? How all, everything about it doesn't make sense. And my hopes are over. <laughs> Where are you? Don't you know what's going on today in my life? <laughs> don't, don't you realize this? Don't you see how these people treat me? <laughs> what they're doing to me? Because I am my object, Jesus, and not you. Oh, boy, God forbid. Well, and look at what it says in verse 21. But we trusted that it had been he which would have redeemed Israel. I mean, he told us these things. Where's the proof of them? Where are you, God? And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. 
third day. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, when, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And the fact of the matter is, listen, we have a living Christ. We have a living Savior. And life, his life, who he is, is far above every single thing, that he's alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found, even as the women had said, but they saw him not. Listen, we hear all these things, these truths, the word of God, but we don't see it in our life. The reason is, is because we're making ourselves the object. We're making our circumstance and situations and things that happen to us the object and not him in his presence because in his presence there's always the fullness of joy and then we can see that there are pleasures forevermore at his right hand because that's where Christ is seated that's where we're seated in him above every single thing and it says they saw him not then said he then he Christ said unto them oh fools in other words oh you're acting in such ignorance. You're acting in your sight. And you are so slow of heart to believe. And we are so slow at times to believe that he's right there, to believe his word, to believe everything that he has said, to make more real the reality of who he is than what is going on in our life and our experience and our feelings. He is so far above them. And he said, you're so slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. In other words, the word of God. You're so slow of heart. And at the beginning, and at be and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Listen, all the scriptures, all prophecy, all types are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He is our everything. I've heard it said before, and I've gone through this in, even in my own life, in my early days, and even in my middle days, that doctrine and teaching and theology is what explains Christ. No, the opposite. Jesus Christ himself, he is the explanation of all prophecy, of all the scriptures, of every single thing that was in the mind of God. The full thought of God is Christ himself. He explains it all. He's the explanation. He is, he explains everything. And when we get in his presence, he will clearly explain everything beautifully to us. He will reveal how far above he is of everything in our life and how we are in him who's above it all. He's above it all. And then it says they drew near unto the village where they went. And he made as though he would have gone further. He was going to leave them. But they constrained him saying, abide with us. Oh, we love what you're saying. Abide with us. And we get in his presence and we want, him, we want to just stay there. Oh, God, if we could only stay there. And oh, not get depressed and not be sad. Would you just abide with us? For it is toward the evening and the day is far spent. God, please 
please, I want what, who you are to stay in my life, to stay in my thinking. And it says he went in to tarry with them. And at times he does. He comes in and he tarries with us. And then it says this, and it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, as he was fellowshipping with them, as there was an exchange with them. He took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to him. He had communion with them. Can you imagine if anyone could explain communion and reveal exactly what he was what he had already accomplished? He was doing it with them. I mean, we will experience that for all eternity. We will. We'll experience that. We'll learn that forever, <laughs> for, without interruption. And one of these times we'll speak about just the eternal joy, and God put that so much on my heart. You know, we have love, and to experience love uninterrupted brings a joy, etern such an eternal joy. That'll be the expression and the effect of love forever and ever without interruption, without an interruption. And he took bread and blessed it and break it and then he gave it to them. In other words, what he's saying is he's still giving. He's still the giver. He's given the broken bread and the poured out wine. He's constantly, and it's a, and it's a memorial and a proof of the eternal desire of Christ himself to fellowship with us in his presence anytime we want. He's there waiting for us. Isaiah 30, verse 18, waiting to be gracious. And even much more, in a sense, with us. And as we close this, it says this, and then their eyes were opened. Oh, Paul talks about it in Ephesians 3, 16, that the eyes of your heart may be opened to see who Christ is in you and who you are in him. Who you are in him. Their eyes were opened and finally they knew him. And that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to know who he is in the most personal and intimate way in us. He wants us to know. Because when we get to know how personal and intimate he is in us, then we get to know how personal and intimate we are in him, to him. What an amazing thing it is. Just incredible. But And then they knew him. Finally, they had substance and they could know themselves in him and him in them. And then it says, he vanished out of their sight. He gave them now that they can live by faith. They can trust him. That when they don't see him, he's just as near. And when they can't feel him, he's just as real and just as near as anything. And then it says, they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us? When his presence is in us, it consumes anything that's not of his presence. It consumes worry, fear, doubt, unbelief and raises us up far above. He says, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? And that's what he does. The Holy Spirit in Isaiah 4, verse 4, is called the spirit of burning. And he takes the scriptures. 
He takes the scriptures and in type it, that's what it speaks about in Isaiah, the sixth chapter, when the seraphim would take the coals from off the fire, the sacrifice of Christ, the Holy Spirit would take those words and put it on his tongue and it would consume the uncleanliness when we think thoughts that aren't clean or a doubt or worry. He comes in, the Holy Spirit takes the word and takes the desire and depth of the life of Christ that desires the fellowship with us. And we get in his presence and it consumes. The worry is gone in a second. We get our mind off ourselves. We get it on God. He fills us with the good news. And we're like those women that want to run <laughs> with just incredible energy and resurrection and power of eternal life and joy and just go spread it around. So, Father, thank you that Jesus is above everything and that we are in him who is the power of eternal life and eternal joy and eternal peace far above everything. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.